Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. This is the last of a sort of series of podcasts I've been doing on Psalm 106. I just wanted to set up a base camp here, so to speak, because there's a lot of things in this psalm that are giving us messages that the rest of the Bible is telling us. It's a little microcosm of the larger story of the Bible. And in so many ways, there's so many things about this. But when you look at it, it really does help us understand that the Bible has always been one story. God has always been telling one story. And we see that here in Psalm 106, when the author of the psalm goes back over the sins of Israelites, the sins of the ancestors. And he says in verse 20, they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works. And and it goes on to describe all that. And then it says, therefore, God said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Now, this is a foreshadowing picture. This whole story of Moses, it says, uses this word stood in the breach. It's a word, the Hebrew word that meant the, the gap. And it's Moses standing in the gap between God and the Israelites. The Israelites had worshiped the golden calf. They were worshiping an idol and they had rejected the true God in worshiping their own image of God. And God was going to redo, God was going to wipe out this whole thing he started by delivering them from Egypt. And it's a, it's a mysterious story how much of it is actually God thinking he's going to destroy the Israelites and then Moses changing his mind, or how much is just God doing this as theater to show us a foreshadowing image of what would ultimately be true in the person of Jesus. Because Moses in this story, it says his chosen one who stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Moses is a foreshadowing type, a foreshadowing image of what would ultimately be true in Jesus. Moses is a mediator. He's representing the Israelites as he pleased for the mercy of God. And God has mercy on the Israelites, we're told in this story in Exodus 33 and 34, because of Moses finding favor with God. So Moses' favor with God is the basis for God having favor upon the Israelites. And so this psalm is going back over that story, and it's an important picture. It just kind of gives us the, the foreshadowing of what the New Testament would ultimately say in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. So the, Jesus is the ultimate mediator. He's the one that stands in the breach. He's the one that stands in the gap between sinful people and a holy, righteous God. And he stands in the gap and finds favor with God the Father as the perfect, righteous human being. And as the perfect, righteous human being, he represents all of us who are in Christ, that we become just as he is before God, accepted, righteous, find favor with God because he is our mediator. It says in Hebrews 9.15, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. 
which again takes us to Psalm 106, verse 45. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So here's the thing that the Psalm 106 is telling us and the whole Bible tells us, and that is our confidence to stand before God, our acceptance by God is not based upon our earning it, our being worthy of it, our deserving it. It's based upon Christ and Christ alone being worthy of it, being having favor with God and being deserving of it. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is the mediator. He is both. He represents both. And he represents us in all of his works. So I want to spend one more episode here on kind of being kicked off by Psalm 106 in meditating again, I, and a lot of this is repetitious, but I, it's repetitious on purpose. I'm trying to drive home a point, and that is that we, we can't walk with God. We, you're just not going to make it in your Christian life unless you believe three things that are true about what it means that you are in Christ. That first is that God's word and God's promises are true. You have to believe that. If you have a doubt about God's word being true, now I'm not talking about the details of whether there was one angel or two angel at the tomb. I think those things matter. I think there are ways to answer those. You have to believe that somehow in the mystery of things, the Holy Spirit wrote through human beings to give us true, eternal promises of God in the story of the Bible, in the story of all that Christ has done in all of his works, and that those promises are true for you. The second thing you have to believe is that he loves you specifically with an abundant, infinite steadfast love, infinitely focused on you. I'm not talking about you're the focus of your life. That's not the that's not the message. But I'm talking about God having this intense, focused love for you that is infinite and that is greater than anything you can imagine. And as infinite as God is, the God that created this universe and as vast as this universe is, is a measure of the vastness, the infinite, steadfast love of God for you. And the third thing is that his will for you is ultimately good. Even if you can't see the good right now in your circumstances, he is bringing you into his better story. And we, you know, I say all this because of the very first verse of Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the focal point of his promises and his steadfast love and his goodwill for our lives, his good plan for our lives, is this verse here, verse 45, for their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love, that God's covenant is the basis of our relationship with him, Jesus being the ultimate covenant with, between us and God, the perfect mediator. It's one thing to have a kind of head knowledge of why that is so, and Christ is our mediator, and he's the basis for our acceptance before God, and yes, he's the reason why I'm forgiven of my It's one thing to have sort of an intellectual knowledge of those things, but that is not really the Christian life, is these intellectual beliefs. The Christian life is worship of God. It's being brought back into true and right worship, because remember Psalm 106 said that the, everything went off the wheels because we have exchanged the glory 
glory of God to worship images. That's what Paul says in Romans 1, verse 20. That's what Psalm 106 says in the verse we looked at. And this is the whole disorder in our lives now. And so what I want to do in this podcast and what I want to do in this specific episode is bring us into a moment of worship, true and right worship of God by meditating again on this covenant promise of forgiveness. If you're bored with forgiveness, it's because I don't think you really understand the depth of your sin and how it permeates your life and messes up your life and all the ways that it sinks its roots deep into your character and deep into your story. And when we get bored with understanding the forgiveness and the redemption and this covenant of what God is doing to remove sin from our lives more and more by making us more like him and how that happens happens. It's because we just are blind to the reality and we need to have our eyes open. And one of the ways for me that I've had my eyes opened over the years is by worship. There's something that the Holy Spirit does in my heart and in my mind when I worship. He opens doors and opens my mind, opens windows to new realities that otherwise I miss, I ignore, I just sort of am blind to. This is why the Apostle John comes to this issue when he's talking about living in the light and living in the glory of God and walking with God and having fellowship with God and having fellowship with one another. He brings us to this point here because it's important for us to live in this promise. But living in the promise does something in us that makes us want to walk in the light more and more. So the Apostle John writes in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him. He's talking about being with Christ those three years as his apostle, disciple. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now he's saying this is the message we heard from Christ. This is what Jesus taught us over and over. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now this is, you know, obviously the idea of light is something that the Bible comes back to over and over, that God dwells in inapproachable light. And that Jesus says that we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father when we're living in the kingdom of God. Light is something that I'm not sure how much of it is literal and how much of it is is figurative, but I do know to some degree it is highly figurative. Light has this idea of ultimate glory and splendor and majesty and no impurities whatsoever, no sin, no darkness being representative of impurity and evil and lies and deception. So verse six, if we claim we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So truth and light here are synonyms. Darkness and falsehood, lying are synonyms. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the listen, listen to this the blood of jesus his son purifies us from all sin so john is bringing us into this picture of standing before god moses said to god show me your glory and god said i can't it would kill you i'll do the next best thing i'll proclaim my name and john is kind of doing that here when god proclaimed his name in exodus 34 6 and 7 he said the lord the lord and he said ultimately abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and john is bringing us into that picture here he's bringing Bringing us into seeing 
the presence of God as light and coming into the presence of God and worshiping God before his glory and his splendor and his light and his majesty and his beauty. Remember that we get tripped up in our Christian life if we think of God as duty more than beauty. John is bringing us back into seeing God as beauty more than duty, that he is the reason we walk with him is because he is more glorious and more splendid and more majestic and more beautiful and more worth our worship than anything else. Living out the truth, living out reality, is living with God in his light and truth. God is the central being of all creation. He is the reason everything exists. To walk in the truth is to live in the light of the presence of God. And to do that, John brings us back to what he says here, the blood of Jesus purifying us from all sin. So we come into the presence of God's light. We come into the presence of God's glory. And we're not incinerated because the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And then he describes how that happens. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So here's what I want you to catch. This is weird. It's almost like a complete counterintuitive that the more we walk in the light, the more aware we are of our sin. If we claim to be without sin, he says, we're walking in darkness. We're not walking in the light. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, all. So here's what happens. When we just are honest about our sin, acknowledge our sin, take responsibility for our sin, confess our sin, own it as something we've done, we can, we can have this sense of light that God is faithful and he is righteous and he will forgive us of our sins and he will purify us. He will replace the darkness with the light. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Coming before the presence of God, the glory of God, the brilliant light of God's majestic splendor and holiness and righteousness means that we can be honest about our sin. We can bring our sin. We have to bring our sin. We have to be honest about our sin. Otherwise, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We can bring our sins to him if we acknowledge our sins, if we take ownership and responsibility for our sins, bring our sins to him. He's faithful and he's righteous. He's just and he will forgive us of our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, whether that's just sort of ignoring our sin or whether it's denying our sin or whether it's minimizing our sin or whether it's blaming other people for our our sin, he says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. His word being the truth, his word being the light. His word is not in us. The truth is not in us. The light is not in us. If we are a ignoring our sin, minimizing our sin, denying our sin, blaming others for our sin. We're calling God a liar and we're living in the darkness. His word is not in us. So the more you are walking in the light 
and the truth of God's presence and God's word, the more you are aware of your sin, you're more aware of your sinfulness, which you start to see how sin sinks its roots into your lives far deeper than you realized. If you're bored with biblical passages on what sin is and how sin works in your life and how forgiveness works in our life and the blood of Jesus cleansing us and all that that means for you, it's probably because you're still walking in too much unawareness of the reality of your sin. It's not a felt need to use the kind of the modern language psychologically. It's not something you sense the importance of and the need of for your life. You're not aware of how much sin is permeating your life and messing you up. Because one of the things the light does is shine on our sin. Personally, I have found it to be peace-giving and joy-giving and gratitude-giving to worship God by meditating on biblical passages about forgiveness. And so John continues in the next verse, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So again, we're going back to Psalm 106 and it's showing Moses who stood in the breach and God found favor with Moses and God relented from destroying the Israelites. And so here we have Jesus as the ultimate mediator of the ultimate eternal covenant and he is the perfect righteous one and we are in him. He is our mediator. He represents us before God. He is the righteous one. We have an advocate with the Father and that he's the one that allows us to come into the presence of God, the light of God, the glory of God. Verse two, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the whole thing that the New Testament teaches of all that God is for us in Christ. He's the one who's the sacrifice for our sins. He's the one who takes all of our sin upon himself. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, John said, and he is the one who gives us his righteousness. He's the righteous one. So remember, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, you were washed, you were sanctified. That means that's a verb of holy. You were made holy. You were justified. That means made right in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God's very Holy Spirit is doing this washing and this making us right before God and this sanctifying us. And there's a sense in which it is done because Jesus is our mediator and we are in him. And so all that is true of Jesus is true of us. And there's another sense in which that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives as we learn to walk in the light and take responsibility for our sin and confess our sin and have the truth of God's word in us and come toward the light and walk in fellowship with God and walk in fellowship with one another. Remember Hebrews 10, 12, but when this priest talking about Jesus being the perfect mediator, that's another word for priest. He represents the people before God and God before the people. He's the perfect mediator. When this perfect mediator, when this priest had offered for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God Verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're being made holy now by the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, in some mysterious way, we have been made perfect forever already by one sacrifice for all time, one sacrifice for sins. You can't add to that sacrifice. You can't merit any more forgiveness. 
because it's all based on that one sacrifice for all time, the sacrifice of Jesus. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. You can't be made more perfect than perfect. And you've been made perfect forever already before God. He's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're being, this is something that's happening even now by the Holy Spirit, but it's already as good as done because of what Christ has done for us. Now listen to this next verse, verse 15. This is the New Testament, Hebrews 10, 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For he says, and now he's going to quote from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. So this is the author of Hebrews saying, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through the Old Testament prophet in the Old Testament in Jeremiah. This, he says, verse 16, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts, I I will remember no more. Here's what he's saying. There's always been one story that God is doing something in us. He has made perfect for all time those who are being made holy. And in our resurrection, when Christ returns, we'll have a resurrection in bodies just like Jesus. And these bodies, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, will be without sin, without disease, without death, without corruption. And God's going to make his righteousness part of our very heart and part of our very mind. It's going to be impossible for us to sin because our heart and our mind are going to be righteous just like Christ. And forever, he says, their lawless acts, their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. He goes on to say in verse 18, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. You've already been forgiven all of your sin. You can't make a sacrifice for sin. It's not possible. It's already been done. Therefore, he says, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, not by your righteousness, not by your, it's by the blood of Jesus. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Worship God by bringing your sin to him. You don't have to hide it. Worship God by walking in his light and being honest about your sin. Letting the Holy Spirit convict you of your sin, different than accusing you. Let the Holy Spirit convict you of your sin so that you can bring it to the light. You can be honest about it. You can acknowledge it. You can take responsibility for it. You can confess it and you can bring it to the light and let the Holy Spirit replace the darkness in your life with his light and truth and his word. Because your relationship with God is not based upon how much sin you have or don't have. It's based upon the righteousness of Christ, the blood of Jesus that takes away your sin to the cross, nails it to the cross, and gives you his forgiveness for all time by one sacrifice, by the blood of Jesus, so that you can have confidence to enter. And this is the whole point of it. The whole point is not to have forgiveness of sins, but to draw near to God, to have confidence to enter the most holy presence of God by the blood of Jesus and to draw near to God 
So Ephesians 4.22 tells us, that says this, is, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is what Paul's saying, that who be who you are. You are holy. You are righteous. You are a child of the light. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit of God. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You live in the great, steadfast, abundant, steadfast love of God for you and the mercy of God and the grace lavished on you. That's who you are. So be who you are. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, holiness is splendor and glory and beauty, light. Live in light. Live in righteousness. Live in holiness. That's who you are. That's what it means to be truly human, to live in and reflect the glory of God and the steadfast love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the righteousness of God. These verses help us to worship God, to come in the presence of God, to, as he says, draw near, to have confidence to enter the most holy presence by the blood of Jesus, and to draw near to God. And so we draw near to you, God. We come before you. I come before you washed in the blood of Jesus. I come before you washed. I come before you already sanctified, already made holy. I come before you already made righteousness. By the blood of Jesus, Jesus is my mediator. I come in him. I grab hold of his cloak and I come in your presence behind Jesus. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is the love of God for me. Jesus is the grace of God for me. Jesus is the mercy of God for me. Jesus is the righteousness of God for me. I give thanks to you that you've taken all my sin, all the sins that I have committed, all the sins that I commit, all the sins that I will commit. And you take them and you have already put them on the cross of Jesus. You have already canceled the debt. You have already made one sacrifice for all time and made me perfect. And you're making me holy even now. I want to put on the new self created to be like God in light and righteousness and true holiness. I want to put on true humanity of the Son of Man and the Son of God. I walk putting on your forgiveness. I walk putting on your holiness. I walk putting on your righteousness. I walk putting on being cleansed from all unrighteousness. I put on light. I put on truth. I put on your word, and I acknowledge my sin. I confess my sin. You're not a liar. You're right. I have sin, and I bring it to you. I take responsibility for it. I don't try to hide it. I don't want to hide it. I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to deny it. I don't want to blame others for it. I bring it to you, and I can let go, put the burden on you, on the cross of Jesus, I just offer it before the cross of Jesus right now, and I have confidence to enter your most holy presence by the blood of Jesus, and I can have my conscience cleansed of guilt and my body washed with the pure water of the blood of Jesus, and I draw near to you, God. I draw near to you. 
to you and your light and your beauty and your glory and your love and your holiness and your righteousness. And I'm not incinerated because Christ is my mediator. You love me in accordance with your love for Jesus. Through his blood, I have complete forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of your grace that you have lavished upon me in Jesus. You lavish your grace upon me. You have lavished your grace upon me. And in accordance with your grace lavished upon me is the degree that I have forgiveness of sins and confidence to be freed from a guilty conscience and confidence to draw near to you, even though I come before your holy presence of glory and righteousness, I come before you clothed in the glory and the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus, because you are faithful and righteous and you forgive me of all my sins and purify me from all unrighteousness. Jesus is my mediator of this covenant that you are faithful to forever. The forever God is my God forever in Jesus, the righteous one. The atoning sacrifice for all my sin, for all time. I can't add to it. I can't become more perfect than I already am in Jesus. And I don't know all that it means, but in some way my story is going to be something that in the coming ages shows the incomparable riches of your grace and your kindness to me in Jesus. And I want to be faithful in that story. I want to put on this new self that's being conformed to the image of God, being conformed to the image of Christ in true righteousness and holiness and love. I want to live with joy knowing this promise for me is true and that you love me with your abundant steadfast love and your will for me is good. I want to be faithful in that story. I want to be a good story in the coming ages because I trusted in your word. I trusted your word is true for me. Your love for me is real in Jesus. He's the proof. Your will for me is good because you have already died to give me your good will. And I draw near to you and want to be near you all throughout my day today, walking in these promises and all that you are for me in Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.